Number 17, last week we talked about the dealing with the pressure, dealing with people pressure. In verse 16, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And we need, we need time with God to navigate the pressures that come from people. Then beginning in verse number 17, you're going to notice, excuse me, that this text sounds familiar. Excuse me, it does because we preach several messages out of the same, the, the, a similar narrative in Mark chapter 2 that told the story from Mark's perspective. And we're, we're going through Luke, and so I'm not going to skip it. Our focus in Mark 2 was more about the four men who brought the man that was sick of a palsy to Christ. And there were just some principles about working together as a church family that we spent a few weeks dealing with. Tonight we're going to look at the context of this and the point that Jesus made specifically to the religious skeptics and critics. So notice verse number 17. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And so they're coming, and they're not, understanding what we know about the Pharisees and the religious elite, they're not coming primarily to learn from him or to understand him. They're coming to analyze and to be critical. Now, some would get saved, but most of them would spend his adult ministry life being critical of him and trying to catch him in, in different traps. Now, notice it says this, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, to lay the man before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. I'm not talking about that scene. We've discussed that plenty, but I would have loved to have seen that. Been amazing. I just I love the demonstration and the effort and the resiliency and the refusal to quit. We're going to figure out a way. Notice verse twenty. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, "Man, thy sins are forgiven thee." And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, "Now keep in mind the setting: packed house, lots of people." You're, you, it's not as though you can hear a pin drop. There's all kinds of movement and noise and voices and people looking at this saying, what's going on? And the wife's, the, the, the husband and wife of the house going, is the insurance going to cover this? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And Jesus said, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And they say, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? This is a fair question, actually. This next question. Who can forgive sins but God? Right? (laughs) But God alone. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether is easier to say? Notice his question. What is easier to say? Whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately, 
And man, when Jesus makes you whole, he does it immediately. Immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Meaning, this is out of the ordinary. And it certainly was. So here's the thought, the title tonight. Who can forgive? Who can forgive? Father, thank you for some theological, doctrinal truth about our Savior. Well, Lord, help us to understand the practical implication that it has. Not, not just in our understanding of Christ as man and God but also the implication in our life when we deal with sickness and when we try to minister to people who have many needs. So Lord, help us to be benefited from this. Help me to communicate it accurately. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. I can bench press 650 pounds. I can dunk. On a 13-foot goal. I can squat 1,200 pounds with one leg. See, here's here's the point. You think you know that's ridiculous. But we can say anything as long as we don't have to prove it. Right? No, I can I can claim all sorts of stuff. The focus in verse number 17, Luke wanted us, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to understand that there were religious elite there to communicate with Jesus, and maybe, maybe there was some intention to try to understand him, but they really weren't, they, they weren't willing to recognize him for who he was, and that's going to be borne out, it, it is borne out throughout the gospel. So Jesus is there, they're teaching, they're in, he is teaching, they are interacting, perhaps people are asking questions. There, is all, there have already been demonstrations of miracles and healings. It says in the end of verse number 17, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. People were bringing their sick and their broken, they were coming with their infirmities and their diseases to Jesus Christ. And so the house is filled up, it's spilled out into the streets, we've talked about that. Here comes this man, sick with the palsy, born of four, they eventually lower him down through the roof. But we notice something important in verse number 20, that he saw their faith. Just a reminder, that faith is always observable. There is no area in God's kingdom where faith can, where you can have faith that doesn't affect the way that you live. Now, is it possible to be saved and not let it affect the way that you live? Yes, 100%. But that's not God's intention. God's intention, and it doesn't mean you're not saved, but God's intention is that your faith in Him as your Savior will produce specific actions. Because I believe in Him, then I'm going to treat my wife this way. Because I believe in Him, I'm going to treat my husband this way. Because I believe in Him, I'm going to raise my children this way. Because I believe in Him, I'm going to act a certain way when I'm at school, and I'm going to behave myself in a way that's going to please God. Because I believe in Him, faith is intended to be by God observable in that it affects the decisions we make, and the way that we live our lives. And so he sees the faith. He sees their faith. He sees the faith of the four that are bearing the man, but he also sees the faith of the man that is lying there helplessly being born by the four. He sees their faith. And then 
in verse number 21, something very, excuse me, verse number 20, something very important happens. Jesus responds to their faith. And notice that he says to the man that is sick with the palsy, man, thy sins, excuse me, I'm sorry, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, Again, remember the setting. I thought about having Brother Michael come up here again or somebody come up here and lay helplessly. But you can see he obviously has great need. Right. No, he, he can't move. He can't run to the store. He can't go to his job. He can't help his children. He can't help his neighbor. He, he can't do anything for himself. He is literally confined to what, the, what Luke calls a couch, a type of bed that he could be carried on. He's literally confined to that. And he's so helpless that even when there is one who can heal him and make him well, he doesn't have the ability to bring himself. This man obviously has, he has significant need. But the obvious needs, please get this, the obvious needs were not the greatest needs. Sometimes we get confused about what is the greatest need in a person's life. And there are obvious needs that people have. People have obvious needs concerning health care. People have obvious needs concerning food. People have obvious needs concerning finances. Obvious needs concerning relationships. Obvious needs concerning education. And whatever kind of need you want to talk about, there are needs that can be very obvious But in this case, the obvious need was not the greatest need. You see, this man's problem, the greatest problem wasn't his physical infirmity and limitation. His greatest problem was that he needed to be reconciled to God. He was a sinner. He wasn't, we don't know that he was a sinner because he was sick. We know that he was a sinner because he is a sinner. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so you can literally drive down the road and look at any person and know. I may not know their whole story. They may have a lot of difficulty going on. But their greatest need is to know God. You can walk through the halls of a cancer center. And whether it be adults or whether it be children, you can walk through the halls of a place where people are waiting on very serious surgeries. And you can see all of those things. And they are obvious needs. But the greatest need is to have a relationship with God. To have your sins forgiven. Forgiveness is God's greatest gift and man's greatest need. And so Jesus, knowing that that man had faith, Jesus didn't, please don't misunderstand this, Jesus didn't force salvation on him. This is is important. Look in verse number 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts. No, we'll come back to that in a moment. But these men thought they were talking in a way where they could not be heard. It doesn't say that Jesus perceived their words. It says when Jesus perceived their thoughts. He was aware of what was going on in their hearts and their heads. And so it's no problem for me to believe that the God who created everything, who chose to be born as a virgin, who had born born through a virgin, that God has the ability to see in a man laying there that is helpless and may not even have the ability to speak and to know, That man has faith. There's no problem for him to know that. And so he says to him, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Look, it's easy to get distracted with every need that people have that we encounter in our community. But the greatest need is to be reconciled to God. 
to be forgiven. So Jesus makes this statement, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then in verse 21, the, the religious leaders there, they're thrown into a tizzy. They speak among themselves, and they basically ask two questions implying two different things. Number one, we see the accusation in verse number 21. Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Now blasphemy, we, we read that word and we take it lightly, but blasphemy is to attribute to ourselves that which is only reserved for God. And it was considered, and it should be considered, a very serious sin. And so they're looking at him saying, who is this that speaketh blasphemies? Here's the truth. If Jesus Christ blasphemed in any way, then he could not be our Savior. And so they're accusing him. You have spoken blasphemies. Who are you to speak such things, which in that day would be punishable by death? Who is this that speaketh blasphemies? Here is the second question with a strong implication. Number one, Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. Number two, who can first give sins but God alone? Now on the surface, we agree with that. No, we don't agree with their motive, but we agree with that statement, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, no one can. And so when someone, when this man that you think to be only a carpenter's son when he is claiming, when he is declaring, thy sins be forgiven thee, either he is blaspheming or there is more to him than you realize. And so verse 22, Jesus perceives their thoughts. As I've already mentioned, he doesn't need audible words. Hey, listen, this is just good. He doesn't need you to verbalize it to know what you're thinking even right now. He doesn't need you to express criticism or complaint or selfishness to know what is in your heart. And by the way, I'm thankful for that because he can take the word and affect us wherever we're at with whatever is going on. But Jesus doesn't, he wasn't content to leave them and so he confronts them. In verse number 22, he says, what reason ye in your hearts? And then he asks them a very important question. And please note what he does and what he does not ask. He asks a very important question. Which is easier to say? Now look, both of these things are impossible for a mere man to do. We're almost there. Both of these are impossible for a mere man to do. <laughs> I bench 500 pounds. No, you don't. No, these are, these, this is way beyond that. Which is, both of these are impossible for a mere man to do. But that's not what he asked. He asked which is easier to say. Notice, what's easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee? Or rise up and walk and somebody actually get up and walk. Okay, here's the point. And Jesus is intentionally setting them up. Anyone can say, thy sins be forgiven thee. No, I'm not, I'm not being irreverent here. No, anyone can say, thy sins be forgiven thee. You can prove it, or no, excuse me, you can't prove it one way or the other. You can believe it, you cannot believe it, but we can walk around all day. In fact, there are certain religions that function this way. You're forgiven. 
No, anyone can say that all day, and there's no way to actually prove it. And so here's what they're counting on. This is brilliant by our Lord. They're counting on He is stating something that He cannot prove. (laughs) No, that's what, seriously. They are thinking, man, we've got you, because you just made a claim that you cannot possibly prove. I love it. Look, I'm really not I'm really not being trying to be mean or sarcastic or ridiculous. I just love the brilliance of our savior. When they come in with this hostility, they come in with this cynicism, they come in with this critical mind and who is this who is this that speaks blasphemies? And Jesus doesn't get offended, he doesn't get worked up. He asks him a very pointed intentional question, which is easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee. Yeah, we've got you. You've made this claim that you cannot possibly prove. And then he asked another question. Or, or, rise up and walk. Okay, here was the point. Don't get this confused. His greatest need was not physical. It was spiritual. But, if his word has power over the physical you can confidently assume his word has power over the spiritual as well. And so he sets him up. He totally sets him up and says, what's easier to say? Thy sins be forgiven thee or rise up and walk? And then he answers his own question in verse 24. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. Just so you know that I have all power, that I have power on earth to forgive sins, that I am more than just a carpenter's son, born of a virgin, that I am God, that I was before Abraham, just so you know that when I declare to this man or to the woman at the well or to the woman caught in adultery or to Zacchaeus, when I declare thy sins be forgiven thee, that I have all power and authority to do that. Just so you know it and you can't argue with it, let me show you. Rise up and walk. No, wait, let me read it. Let me read it. I'm sorry. I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. I love this. I love the picture of salvation. I love the power of Christ to immediately make someone whole. Immediately in verse 25, he rose up before them, took that whereon he lay, departed to his own house. It's like, man, I don't need this anymore. I am out people. And there he goes. That's what happened. It's amazing. So here's the conclusion. If he can raise him up, then he can remove his sin. No, if he has power to raise him up, then apparently that word has power deeper than we realize. If Christ can say to anyone, rise up and they rise up, then he can say to anyone, you're forgiven. (laughs) And they're forgiven. People in verse 25 and 26 are amazed, filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. The point that I want to focus on, just for a, a couple, well, a few more minutes, is that if he can raise 
anyone up. He can remove anyone's sins. If he can heal anyone, he can forgive anyone. I am amazed, and and the the Apostle John talks about this, that this was his conclusion at the end of his epistle, that if everything that Christ did, all of his works that he did on earth were recorded, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books, the scrolls that would be written. Meaning this, we only have a minute fraction recorded for us of the good that Jesus did. Jesus genuinely loved and cared for people and wanted to ease as many of their burdens as he could. But the point, the primary point of his ministry, even his healing ministry, was not simply just to heal them, but it was to help them understand that I have the ability to help you more than just in physical ways. I have the ability to help your greatest need, which is to take away your sin. It authenticated who he is as God. So just a few reminders about our lives. Number one, our greatest need is salvation. Our greatest need is salvation. Now this, this hopefully is going to be encouraging. You and I have many legitimate needs. We have many legitimate needs. Um, and in fact, as I, as I look at you tonight and I think about my mind is flooded excuse me, flooded with different circumstances that you're going through. As I enjoyed our three young sisters up here singing that song, I'll go down again. And, and I look at people that are going through different battles medically. Listen, we, we have many legitimate needs that are represented in this room. I know that to be the case. And you know even better than I. It's okay. It is okay. It is good and it is right and it is even commanded in the word of God to pursue the meeting of those needs, it is good and right to pray for those needs to be met and for those burdens to be relieved. And it's good and right to try and minister to the needs of others and to alleviate their suffering and to help them and encourage them in dealing with those needs. Whether it's a short-term need, a long-term need, a financial need, a need with um, some material good, a need with their job, a need, an emotional need, some encouragement or hope, whether it's a medical need or something that we can pray for, we are encouraged to bear one another's burdens. But we got to remember this. Your greatest need is to know God, to be forgiven, to have salvation through Jesus Christ. So please understand this as a child of God. The greatest thing that Jesus could ever do for you is be your Savior. We, we, can, we can become inordinate or, or influenced too much by movement within Christianity that wants to focus primarily on physical need to the exclusion of spiritual. Look, I'm thankful for the pathway that God gives to do good in our community so that that might lead to having spiritual interactions and conversations. That is a biblical model. But the danger is this. This is the danger, is that we do the good with no intent of following up on the spiritual. The greatest need is to be forgiven. The greatest need is to know Jesus Christ. Number two, 
Jesus can heal anyone. I'm not, I'm not a weirdo. Okay, maybe I am a little bit, but not, not in this way. Not in this way. I believe that God still heals people today. Now, sometimes he uses medicine. Sometimes there are things that we just can't explain. We've even recently had one of those very testimonies in our church, if you've been paying attention. Someone that it seemed like there is no, from a physical perspective, good outcome. And now it's just kind of like, man, we really don't know what to say about that. And this is what I believe. And I have spoken to this to, spoken about this to people. I have preached about this. I pray about this, that God has the ability to heal anyone. I don't care how bad the doctors say it is. I don't care how long the battle has been going on. I don't care what the diagnosis is. I believe that Christ is still today the great physician. But you got to remember the point we just made. Healing is not our greatest need. It's salvation. I don't, I don't understand this. I'm being very transparent with you. I do not understand this. I don't know why God chooses to heal some and doesn't choose to heal everyone that we ask about. I don't know. But this is what I do know we can't do. We can't evaluate his love for us based on the, the physical health outcomes in the lives of people. You know why? He already proved his love. And the outcome of a doctor visit is not the estimation of his love for you. No, we can thank God for grace and mercy, and I do thank God for grace and mercy in the lives of people. Every time someone that I pray for or hear about and, and, and things turn and improve, I thank God for that. But the danger is, and, and I don't pretend to know the ways of God, and we're not, a, we're not going to be a, a false teaching or preaching church that declares, if you'll do this and this and this, then you'll get healed. And the reason you didn't get healed is because you didn't believe enough. No, even in the Bible, God didn't heal everybody. No, the point, the point of this is, is to understand that if my greatest need is salvation, then sometimes he chooses to heal and sometimes he might choose to not heal. But that is not the measurement of his love for me. The measurement of his love for me is the cross and the hope that I have of eternal life. And so whether I'm able to live into my 90s or whether my life is cut short, that is not how we determine whether or not God loves us. The healing there, the, the physical healing, wasn't permanent. The salvation was. And that leads to the last point. Everyone who was saved is going to be permanently healed one day. Look, I understand that doesn't make up necessarily for what people are going through right now or the things that might be coming into your mind, but can I, can I encourage you with it? As children of God, while we pray for and work for and do everything we can to live healthy lives and have healing and pray for other people in this life, we also need to be encouraged by the hope of eternity. No, one day, there is no more death. One day, there is no more sickness. One day, there is no more bad news, and there, is no more, there are no more doctor's appointments. So then what are we supposed to do with this truth? Number one, remember this. If you're saved, 
He's already proven his love for you. No, that doesn't mean, that does not mean don't ask him for more. I mean, look, we can go to Philippians 4. Let, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. How many of you tonight have some requests? Raise your hand. You got some requests? Come on, come on, hold them up for a minute. You, you, you got some requests? That means you have something you want God to do in your life. How many of you are praying about those requests, honestly, because... I mean, that's where it's are. Okay, that's great. Man, you've got requests. And sometimes it's money that we need to pray about. And sometimes it's health that we need to pray about. And sometimes it's a relationship or an attitude with our children. Sometimes it's a job opportunity that we need to pray about. Sometimes it's having an opportunity that we want for our family. Or it's God to give us something that we've long desired that would be good from Him. But you have those requests of God. But the danger is that you hold God to this standard that if you do this, it means you love me. And if you don't do this, then I have reason to question your love for me. No, that he's already proven his love for you when he forgave you. How many of you have requests of God or saved? No, this is good. You know what that means? God's already done the greatest thing for you that he could ever do. But wait. This ought to be encouraging. I'm not pretending to know what's going to happen with those requests. I don't even know what they are. But if he has the power to forgive you, then whatever your request is, he's got the power to handle it. No, okay, remember, I just don't want to have to do this later, so I'll work it into the illustration. (laughs) Remember, rise up and walk. If he can heal, if he can forgive you, That is no problem. Trust him with whatever he chooses to do. But then make sure that as Christians, while we minister to people's needs, we do not neglect their greatest need. To know Christ. Look, I love it. I and I'm thankful for it. But Pastor Vaught has been an encouragement to me in this. And there are other pastors that inspire me in this. In our communities, we need to seek for ways to do good in our communities that open the door to giving the gospel. No, you need to learn how to be a good neighbor so you can maybe one day witness to your neighbor. You need to do a good job at work so one day you can witness to your employer or coworkers. No, you need to, kids, you need to be kind at school. Because there's a, there are a whole lot of bullies and ding-dongs at school. And they need to see somebody that knows how to have a good attitude and be respectful. And then one day that might open up a door, maybe at your job or maybe, maybe at your school, for you to be a witness. No, we need to do good. But the purpose, the purpose of doing good is more than just, hey, I'm doing good. It's to honor God, but then it gives opportunity for people to hear and be receptive to the gospel. There are many needs, but there's only one greatest need. And let's not lose sight of that. Last thing. I'll stop with this. Are you, I don't know that you're all like me. Man, it's really easy for me to get bummed out about the current circumstances and direction and the effect it's having on people's daily lives. It's frustrating. But we know the one who said, rise up and walk. And if he can do that, if he can forgive sins, then he knows what's happening at the gas pump. He knows what's happening in politics, and he is going to continue to use us to accomplish his work if we will allow him to. Who can forgive sins? You ready? God can, and we know him. 
Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. We don't, we, we need to remember that we don't merely serve one who came from God, although in the mystery of the Godhead he did, he is God. All man and all God. And you need, you need to be affirmed in that faith, that belief. But then you also need to be affirmed in the, the implications of how, how he works in our lives and, and utilizes that divine power. The greatest need that we have is salvation. That's, that's first. That's our greatest need. And God cares for the other needs. God is able and wants to work in your life in dealing with those needs. God is a good and a faithful God, but... He's not always going to do it exactly like we may want him to. He has the power to do whatever is best. Let's make sure that we don't get confused about evaluating his love for us. He proved that in salvation. And, And things will come into our lives and there will be needs that we bring to him. And some of them will go will be answered very well. Some of them will be challenging. But it's not a question of his love for us. So, first of all, let me just let me ask you a few questions. Number number one, do you know that you're saved? Do you know that if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? Do you know? Can you remember a moment, a time when you called on Jesus and your sins were forgiven. I believed in him and I know that I'm saved. Would you raise your hand in testimony to that? Say, I know, I know that I'm saved. That's good. You can put your hands down. Now let me ask the opposite of that. Would there be anyone with every head bowed and every eye closed who would would say, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. If, If I died today, I do not know for sure that I would go to heaven. But I want to know that, I, that I'm forgiven. I want to know that my guilt is gone and that I'm right with God. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just want you to be honest before him. Would you raise your hand and say, that, that's me. I don't know for sure, but I want to know. Can you pray for me? I see it. God bless you. You can put it down. With, but I see it. God bless you. You can put it down. It doesn't matter if it's a Sunday morning or Sunday night. People can get saved anytime. Yep, I see it. God bless you. Put it down. We had, had some children raise their hands, young, young ladies and young men that raise your hand. Can I encourage you that during this invitation, when Brother Nate starts to sing, will you just talk to your mom or dad? You just lean over and grab them and say, hey, I need to, I need to know. I want to know. Number, a couple more questions. How many of you would say, I struggle when God doesn't answer my needs the way that I want him to, to remember that he's already proven that he loves me. There are moments when I struggle with that. It, you're, not, you're not some kind of exception if you do, but there are moments when I'm asking for him to meet a need that I want and, and I, it doesn't happen the way that I want. I struggle to remember that he's already met the greatest need and I need his help to trust him for that. Would you raise your hand? Yep, I see him all over. Let me ask you this. Do you have faith that God can meet your need? The physical need, if he can forgive you, man, he can raise, he can raise you up, whatever it is. And maybe, 
you need to be more committed to seeking him. And just praying and say, God, if you have power to save me, then you have power to help me in this. He is the God who can save. Because he can raise anyone up, he can remove any sin. We have a God who knows what we need and can trust him for it. So if God has spoken to your heart tonight, would you respond to him? Let's all stand together. Brother Nate, you begin to sing. However God might have spoken to your heart, respond to him while we sing.